Welcome to What's Not Priced In, a weekly investor podcast by Fattail Investment Research. In a world of confusion and rapid change, experts Kirill Prakopenka and Greg Canavan look behind the headlines to unveil the hidden opportunities within the Australian stock market. Now, let's dive in to today's episode. Magic mirror on the wall. What's the fairest metal of them all? Gold, of course. In the sixth episode of What's Not Priced In, Greg and I explored the determining factor behind the gold price. It gets a little complex, but Greg's insight is well worth it. Now, we also unpacked the latest inflation retail sales data. Now, although a bunch of retail stocks rebounded this week, Greg doesn't think you should get excited. The bottom is in just yet. We then looked at two stocks selling cheese and chicken, and one of the stocks hasn't aged nearly as well as a good chatter. Hello, and welcome back to the sixth episode of What's Not Priced In. As always, I'm joined by our editorial director, Greg Kahneman. Greg, how are you? Good, Kirill. How are you going, mate? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Well, I think today is going to be a bit of a bit of a special episode. I think some of the comments from last week did say they wanted to talk about gold, and that is what we will talk about today in detail in our What's Not Priced In segment. But uh, I, th- I thought there were quite a bit of big events that sort of happened this week, namely with all of the releases from the ABS. So I thought we'd start there, especially with the monthly CPI indicator. And um, Greg, what did you make of it? Were you surprised, yeah, so, shocked, interested, not interested? Uh, to, to be honest, I'm not surprised that inflation is falling probably a bit quicker than expected. Um, and when I sort of looked at the numbers, uh, one way to look at inflation obviously is the headline index and it comes out based on the past 12-month price movement and that came in at 5.6%. But when I did the numbers on the six monthly annualized inflation rate and the three monthly annualized inflation rate it points to inflation falling uh, quite quickly. So we just said that the annualized rate was 5.6% inflation, but when you do the six month rate annualized, it comes down to 4.5%. Mm-hmm. And over the past three months move, if you annualize that, it's just 3.7%. So inflation is coming down quite quickly. And I think not 100% sure, but I think that's part of the reason why the market initially thought, okay, the RBA might not mm-hmm. be so pressured to raise rates next week when they meet. Um, and the other thing to consider about that is that there's two things that drive inflation, right? It's either demand or supply. So mm-hmm. we, we sort of asked the question, is the inflation rate coming down because supply is starting to come back on the market or is inflation coming down because Mm -hmm. demand is starting to get hit? And if we put some clues together from what else is happening in the market and we saw household spending uh, falling quite sharply, Mm -hmm. you've seen those retailers, we're going to talk about the retailers in a minute, but we've seen the retailers under a huge amount of pressure and just anecdotally the evidence from the economy is that people are really starting to struggle. So my interpretation is, demand is really starting to slow. And that's the reason behind the faster than expected fall in the inflation rate. And then a couple of days later, we had out a better than expected retail sales number. So the expectation of the RBA maybe staying on hold uh, didn't hang around for too long. And I think now the expectation is probably roughly around about 50-50. And we, we speak about this often. I got no idea really whether the RBA are going to raise rates. My feeling is that um, they shouldn't purely because there is a huge amount of tightening still in the system. We talk about this this each week. But on the flip side of that, you've got an RBA that is very conscious of having made a, a big policy error a couple of years ago and they don't want to, and then they want to be seen to be really tough on inflation. And they're looking at two really lagging indicators. They're looking at uh, employment and they're looking at the inflation uh, number. So whether they're going to feel like they're in some ways, politically in a corner because they have to keep on top of inflation and want to raise rates again. Um, but my view is they shouldn't. They don't need to. Uh, inf- inf- demand is going to going to be hit, and it will come. Inflation rate will come down. Uh, and going back to those retail sales numbers, um, yes, they were strong. But the general gist in the market is that that was driven by a lot of discounting, a yeah. lot of end of year, end of financial year sales brought forward. So retailers are trying to clear inventory. Um, and if you look at, um, perhaps we can look at some of the retailing stocks, they've had a little bit of a bounce yep. this week. 
but certainly they're still in in major downtrends. So let's just get on to some of those stocks. So I think it's worth pointing out from a from an investor's perspective, um, and I'll go through a bunch of the bigger mm-hmm. uh, the bigger names here. So starting with JB Hi-Fi, this is obviously held up really well in terms of um, all the retailers. And just to for some context, post COVID, most of the retailers had a really really good couple of years. So their yeah. earnings have been inflated from the normal uh, trend, I guess. Uh, and and now we've got to work out what what is the what is the normal longer run trend in a post COVID world where spending patterns go back to somewhat normality. So JB Hi-Fi uh, is is looking reasonably well here. It's holding holding up under this sort of level of of support that's held throughout 2023. Now, just to give listener uh, viewers a bit of context, these uh, moving averages are uh, the 50 and 100 day. Uh, moving averages, and I just use those as a bit of an indicator of a medium-term trend. So when the 50-day crosses below the 100-day, uh, it's an indication that we're moving into a medium-term downtrend. Now, that's not necessarily definitive here because it's gone uh, above and below. So it's in a bit of a, a sideways trend. Mm-hmm. As long as this support holds, that's pretty positive to, for JB Hi-Fi. question is whether um, it can get above these moving averages and, and if it does turn back down which I wouldn't be surprised if it does purely because uh, what I've talked about before with those lagged impact of of monetary Mm. policy still in the system, you're going to see spending constraint for some time to come. But looking at some of these other major uh, retail stocks, this is primary investment. So really, really strong downtrend here. When share prices really uh, diverge from these moving averages and get a long way from them, just the law of uh, mean reversion uh, suggests that they do tend to rally back close to those before turning back down again. But the main thing here from an investor perspective is that, yep, downtrend uh, really intact there. Harvey Norman's had a really strong bounce, mm-hmm. even though it it came out with a profit warning last week. It suggests that a lot of that bad news was priced in. So if we're sort of saying, okay, well, what's not priced into retailers, it's a, it's a better than expected outcome mm-hmm. uh, in the next couple of months. But I don't think that's a high probability uh, outcome. And while these trends are still in in place, uh, I'd be I'd be pretty cautious on on them. Uh, just quickly running through, this is Super Retail Group uh, crossed over here, so pretty decent downtrend. Uh, Levisa, it's had a really big mm-hmm. um, pullback over the last couple of months, trending lower. Domino's, well, that's been in a downtrend for some time, so no real change there. Uh, this is Accent Group, shoe retailer. Down considerably. Scarly Furniture Retailer down considerably, trending lower. Michael Hill uh, Jewelers clearly in a downtrend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adairs same. Beacon Lighting the same. Maya had a really good run here, but just turned over completely. So that's uh, just to update that. Uh, we're looking at yeah, fifty percent, fifty percent share price correction from the high in March. So mm-hmm. that's pretty pretty significant. West Farmers, which is one of the one of the bigger, uh, it's not really a retail stock, but it is in the consumer discretionary uh, index. So that's sort of held up relatively well. Uh, and uh, a couple of these other stocks we might look at um, a little bit later. But that's just sort of gives you an indication uh, that you know the retail stocks have bounced a little bit this week, uh, but those those downtrends are well 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 entrenched. And from a perspective of how I sort of look at investing certainly wouldn't be looking to jump mm-hmm. in on on those you want to sort of you know it could be the bottom you know there's a lot of a lot of bad news priced in there yeah. uh, and the valuations look reasonably attractive um, but I tend not to want to buy into a, a sharp downtrend you want to see a bit of buying support come in bit of stability uh, and and the trend to at least stabilize and move sideways for a good good couple of months before before taking a punt so i think uh that sector is still a good few months away from any interesting investment opportunities mm. well i did run a very scientific poll on uh the twitter account for money morning and I, and I said are the um the retail stocks you know bargains here or is it a some a value trap or is there going to be value in the next six to 12 months and i think most people either voted for value trap or value in six to 12 months. So 
I think the the market there, small sample size, but sort of corroborates what you're saying. But I think, yeah, it, it, I probably do think that it's probably going to get a bit worse for the retail stocks. I think when the retail data, oh no, the inflation data got breaking, broken down by categories, I think clothing and footwear was the worst performing one. It actually, uh, prices actually fell from May 2022 to May 2023. Uh, clothing and footwear fell actually 0.4%, the prices. Uh, I think that was think, about the only category to, to yeah. show price declines, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, what did you, I think uh, we had this discussion off camera, but um, uh, what did you make of the job vacancies side? Because I think you're you're a big advocate that it's a lagging indicator, and we shouldn't really care about it too much. Whereas I was sort of thinking, oh, those numbers are quite quite crazy and quite strong. Yeah, I, I guess employment is um, not being an economist. I, I sort of I try to put as an investor, I try to put weight on forward looking in indicators mm-hmm. rather than than lagging indicators. And when it comes to employment. Everyone knows that everyone knows that employment market is really tight and you generally don't see a pickup in unemployment until the slowdown is well, well entrenched. So it's a tricky one because if, if the RBA is looking at that as a, as a key indicator of how it Mm -hmm. should make its monetary policy decisions, then uh, I think we should probably put a higher weighting on further interest rate, interest Mm -hmm. rate rises. Um, yeah, but it's uh, in terms of an indicator that I really sort of look at, it's not something that I consider a lot in terms of, um, giving me clues on, on, on other things. Share prices are by far the better clue. And, yep. uh, I don't know if this is an indicator as such, but seek, which is an employment, mm-hmm. uh, online employment, uh, portal that share price broke down a couple of months ago. I think we showed it in one of the earlier episodes mm-hmm. and the share prices continued to fall as well. So uh, to me, that's more of a leading indicator on mm-hmm. employment rather than yep. the employment numbers, which are lagging. Yeah. Do you reckon uh, anyone in the RBA is looking at the seek share price instead of the unemployment rate when making their Probably decisions? Not, no. <laughs> Who knows? I got, I got no idea how the inner workings of, uh, of a central bank, central banker, goes and and whether there's uh whether they make their decisions based on the perception of what they should do uh my general view of of people in leadership positions in across all ranges of society these days is pretty low so uh and i think we we were having this discussion in in the business is that politicians and people like central bankers when when you're a leader and you're in a leadership decision, sometimes you have to do things that are not popular, uh, and you have to build consensus through good solid arguments in order to to lead properly. Uh, and I just don't think we, we're seeing that in in uh, across the across the world in terms of the the leadership that we're seeing in politics, uh, certain institutions, those sorts mm-hmm. of things. Uh, and look, the RBA for many, many years was was considered a pretty pretty good institution. I think on balance, it's probably not too bad. Like, it's certainly not a job I'd like, or many people would like, because in an environment when uh, regimes change, like you go from ten years of disinflation and mm-hmm. and where monetary policy wasn't a huge impact, and then you have the pandemic, and then you have fiscal policy that was such a huge Mm -hmm. injection of uh, demand and liquidity at the same time as uh, monetary policy was, all of a sudden central bankers are earning their money uh, Mm -hmm. because they've got to make some really, really tough decisions. Now, whether the tough decision is to continue raising rates because it looks obvious that that's probably what they should do, Mm -hmm. or do they use some foresight and say, uh, you know, we have done what is it now? 400 basis points of rate rises in, in a little over 12 months. We know that there's probably at least half of that still to flow through mm-hmm. uh, into the economy, um, despite the headline numbers showing we stood, sh- should still be raising rates. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we just need to step aside for a little while um, and maybe put some pressure on the on the government to rein in its spending because there's that's the other side of the inflation 
equation that doesn't really get a lot of uh, a, a lot of um, publicity, and and just because the the budget is in surplus a little bit, doesn't mean it's not an inflationary uh, budget because a lot of the money that comes in to the Aussie economy comes in through uh, exports of coal, iron ore, gas, that sort of stuff. Uh, so that's an inflationary. Um, because it increases national income, so it's really up to the up to the government to to run mm-hmm. greater uh, greater surpluses to try to keep that uh, money out of the economy and stop adding to stop adding to demand. And at the same time as that's happening, we've got massive spending programs for NDIS, um, and yeah, so the the government has got just as much responsibility to to look at the inflationary impacts of its policy as the RBA. But you know, the government's keeping its head down on that front, so. Not surprising. Yeah. yeah, well, definitely. The Reserve Bank is an easy uh, institution to sort of blame if you're the government. Absolutely. But, um, but I think before quick before we sort of move on, I did sort of notice some interesting stats about the vac- to job vacancies. And it was um, the one that stood out to me was the May vacancies uh, this quarter. I nearly doubled those in February 2020, so just before the pandemic. So if you look at it that way, the economy is probably stronger than it's ever been but then i think a few days ago from asic they were sort of saying that business insolvencies are finally on the way up and i think they've hit their highest monthly level in more than seven years according to the latest data from asic so it's a tough job because there's all of these contradictory indicators coming out but i do think um so I'm sort of interested in the macroeconomic aspects of, of, of it. And I have been sort of looking at all of the different speeches and addresses that Fed officials in the US and um, our own officials in the Reserve Bank have been saying. And it's the employment rate is definitely something they're keeping a, a close eye on because the thing they're worried about the most is services inflation. These days, goods inflation has sort of come down, but services inflation is what they're worried about because it's still sort of um, elevated. And a big chunk of services inflation is wages. And if um, unemployment rate is at historic lows, both here and in the US, they're probably scared it's going to continue to put pressure on wages growth. And that's going to keep services inflation high. And if that's what they think, then then maybe they will probably keep interest rates higher for longer. And then that probably percolates to the stock market. So- yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the higher for higher for longer inflation story is something we've talked about previously uh, as not being priced in to markets. And I think it, it, it continues to be ignored. And I, I think that's part of the frustration from central bankers. I know uh, central bankers met in Portugal this week and, you know, the the, the major central bankers. Uh, and and the, the main takeaway was that rates are probably going to rise a couple more times in the US. They're going to be higher for longer uh, yet, um, and I and, and it's interesting just to sort of show this because mm-hmm. we've talked about it. Uh, we've talked about it in uh, in recent uh, in recent weeks. So uh, let's have a look again. We've got the CNN Fear and Greed Index still on extreme greed. So mm-hmm. the market is just saying, okay, Jay, whatever. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're gonna increase rates one two more times uh we're just going to continue to party so from a from a contrarian perspective this is this is my biggest concern is that sentiment for the past three weeks i think has been in the extreme greed and if you can see see just look on this here a year ago we were in fear Mm -hmm. Uh, a month ago greed uh and and recently we've been in extreme greed and it's actually popped up a little bit from what it has been recently and the reason why that's a concern from a contrarian perspective is because who else is there to buy when mm-hmm. when there's extreme sentiment in the market it's in it's the same as when there's extreme fear it's like who else is left to sell like mm-hmm. so when that extreme greed is in and priced in it just means that what's not priced in is a return to some sort of normal uh, sentiment in the market and that can come from it can come from anything. There's, you know, any any catalyst can trigger a change in that sentiment. But when you're at the extreme greed level, it probably doesn't take much of a trigger to scare people and uh, and, and see them sort of come back to some kind of normal 
thinking uh, and, and, and profit taking generally accompanies a move from extreme greed back down to a, a, a normal sentiment level. Whether we're one, two weeks away from that or another month away, I've got no idea. Uh, but just at these levels, you have to be pretty pretty cautious, as I said, from a contrarian perspective. If you're a short-term trader, mm-hmm. extreme greed's probably good because you need uh, you need that ongoing uh, ongoing optimism to, mm-hmm. to keep pushing prices higher. But I would argue that once you're at that level, uh, it's probably pretty tough to get the next leg next leg higher. Yeah, great. Well, I think now's the now's the the time to talk about gold, the the most precious metal of them all. Uh, and I think uh, the stuff that you're going to talk about is, I think, going to be very valuable to readers because I think. Um, you're going to delve into exactly what drives the gold price. And I think there are maybe a little, some misconceptions about what actually um, causes gold price to rise or fall. I think there's a easy idea that, oh, inflation is sort of directly linked to, to gold, but it's not exactly that. It's about real interest rates. So yep. Greg, take it away. Righto. Well, <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, I guess for some context, um, I've, probably bought my first gold bullion back in 2003 mm-hmm. uh so i've been involved in the gold market so for a 20 20 year anniversary 20 years <laughs> actually it's probably not far off i think it was october 2023 from memory um and yeah bought a chunk of bullion started buying gold stocks because uh, I, I i was of the view that um even back then central banks were i think that was around the time that They'd been cutting rates, um, and the the economy and the financial system looked very unstable. Mm-hmm. So I thought gold bullion, you know, pretty pretty good hedge against that type of uh, that type of environment. So I've been involved in for for it in twenty years. I've been a, a a big gold bull. I've been a very blind gold bull where I just thought uh, gold was going to go up and up and up. Uh, so I've had some moments where I've made a lot of money on gold and I've made and I've lost a lot of money. So I've, I've used those periods to try to dig deeper into the market, to try to understand how it really works. And I think that period from say 2012 to 2015, which was a very, very big bear market for gold, Mm -hmm. gold stocks, the sort of benchmark HUI called the Huey index in the U S lost 80% of its value from the peak to trough around that time uh and yeah i lost a decent amount of money mm-hmm. on gold stocks because i was purely just sort of thinking well yeah gold's going to correct but it's not going to mm-hmm. it's not going to do too much because the fed's still you know doing qe and all these sorts of things so the more you look into it or the the more you experience these these ups and downs and the more you look into it the more you realize that there's so much more going on with mm-hmm. gold that you can never fully understand it but you can try to have some sort of framework for mm-hmm. for investing in it um, the other aspect that I'd probably want to point out is that a lot of people come to the gold market from a from a moral perspective so they mm-hmm. will moral moralize about the financial system mm-hmm. and say isn't it horrible all the stuff that's going on Aren't these yep. bankers crooked? Aren't the central banks uh, destroying the economies? I will insulate myself and become very rich from owning gold. Yeah, which is very uh, analogous to what some of the Bitcoin uh, absolutely support. Yes, yeah, yep. uh, and it's just a different. It's a different take on that on that mm-hmm. same thing. And I guess I was seduced by that in the early stages purely because there is a level of righteousness in in owning gold because there's no one on the other side of the transaction it's uh it's no one else's um liability it's your asset only uh and you feel like you're insulated from the financial system by owning physical gold bullion but the problem is that over the years the uh commercial banks have essentially created a a fiat gold system so the amount of paper gold that trades in the market is mm-hmm. is enormous and it dwarfs the physical trade of gold. So um, that tends to um, financialize the price and it brings the gold price into uh, into the same orbit as all the other mm-hmm. fiat money assets that are going on. So that brings me to the point of of real interest rates and gold mm-hmm. tends to correlate 
very, very closely with long-term US real interest rates. Mm-hmm. So before we get into, into what that looks like, maybe uh, it's worth just showing you uh, the definition of real interest rate. Mm-hmm. So yep. a real yield is the nominal yield minus inflation expectations. Now, I've underlined expectations because it's not minus inflation. Inflation, the numbers that you're getting are past inflation numbers. So mm-hmm. what we want to do is try and look forward and say, um, what 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 is the real yield based on forward-looking expectations of inflation? Mm-hmm. So to give you an example, today, the real US 10-year bond yield uh, ticked up um, quite a bit overnight. So uh, 3.85% for the nominal 10-year bond yield minus 2.2%, which is the long-term, the 10-year inflation expectation. So that gives a real 10-year bond yield of 1.64%. So that's just to give you an example of how you get to uh, get to the real mm-hmm. yield. Uh, now, the long-term average real yield is a good inverse correlation with gold, and I'll show you some charts on that in a second. Uh, and the high for the long-term average real yield was back on October the 21st of 2002, uh, 2022. Uh, and that was the highest since April 2010. So to put the, all that together, it's probably best that I show you some, some other charts mm-hmm. that explains how all this works. So bear with me. And, you know, I don't... I, I don't want to try and make this too complex, but I think it is important to understand Mm -hmm. the different aspects that go into it because at the end of this, I'll show you a chart that shows you just how much gold correlates with these Mm -hmm. movements. And if you understand this, you're going to get a much more rational view of how you should look at the gold price in US dollars and therefore how you should think about investing in gold. Mm So, uh, Based on what we just said, there's there's a couple of different uh, couple of different things you should look at. This is the nominal yield for ten year bonds. So peaked, the nominal yields peaked uh, in October twenty fourth, and it's sort of been going mm-hmm. in a sideways uh, sideways consolidation pattern um, over the past let's say six to ten months. So that's the that's the nominal nominal yield. Then you've got what's called the 10-year break-even inflation rate. Now, that's just a fancy name for the expected in, the average expected inflation rate over the next 10 years. Now, that peaked in April 2022, which was around this time of the Russia-Ukraine mm-hmm. uh, war. And I think that sort of escalated here and everyone was thinking, oh, that's going to be inflationary. That's not going to mm-hmm. be... Uh, good at all. So these inflation expectations popped up to 3%, which was the highest in uh, quite some time. But ever since then, these inflation expectations have been trending lower. Now, if we remember what the real yield is, it's the nominal yield minus these inflation expectations, which gives us the long-term or gives us the, the real treasury yield. Now, I've tried to make it uh, longer term here to give you a sense of um, what's happened over the past sort of few months, well, let's say a few years, sorry. The real yields got to a minus level down mm-hmm. here in 2021. So they were the most negative they've been in many, many years. When real yields are falling, that's bullish for the gold price. When they're rising, that's negative and bearish for the gold price. So if we look at a chart of gold overlaid with or uh, where I point out where uh, the real yield Mm -hmm. correlation is. Now, this is looking pretty busy, (laughs) but this is the gold price, the US dollar gold price. And I've pointed out where real rates have bottomed and peaked for their short-term moves to give you a sense of how well the gold price Mm -hmm. is correlated to the 
real long-term real rates. So when real rates bottomed, mm -hmm. gold prices peaked. So that means real rates are rising while gold's falling. Now that here, real rates peaked, gold bottomed, real rates bottomed. I'm not going to go through all these, but it just gives mm -hmm. you a sense of these really interesting turning points in the market where real rates have bottomed and real rates have peaked. Mm -hmm. Now I'll zoom in a little bit. Because in recent times, these haven't really matched up with the peak or the bottom in, in real rates. So this was the Russia-Ukraine conflict, and that was probably a bit of an anomaly. Um, and just here again, gold rallied post the, the uh, collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank uh, and the expectation or the, the feeling that the Fed was going to start putting liquidity into the market again, which it did, but on a very limited scale. So gold rallied on the back of that and it's now coming back down and it looks like it's starting to, uh, I mean, this is still a, a decent upward trend, right? Like I'm, I'm not too concerned about the long-term outlook mm -hmm. for gold at this point, but we there is a bit of pressure on the gold price purely because real interest rates are still high. And if I go back to... Uh, if I go back to the real interest rate again. So the real interest rate has moved higher from this uh, 2021 all the way through up to 2022. Now, if you remember, gold had a long, long bear market and it was pretty nasty, but it bottomed in October, September of last year. And then the gold price rallied significantly again. But the real yield has sort of trended sideways. Mm -hmm. So... There's an argument to suggest that gold probably has a little way to fall if real yields stay at this level. Yep. So my contention would be that gold is pricing in a fall in real yields purely because gold is, is relatively close to all-time highs, mm -hmm. uh, whereas the real yield hasn't fallen a lot. So... If, and this this is a really this is a, a, a going back to the the equation of what the real yield is. Mm -hmm. If inflation expectations continue to fall because the U.S. economy is continuing to slow, yet the Fed keeps rates higher for longer, and that means nominal mm -hmm. bond yields either continue to rise or stay high, then that means real yields will increase because you've got a falling inflation expectations and a stable to rising nominal yield. When those two things happen, in real interest rates will stay high or they can even rise further. So as much as I'm a long-term gold bull, I'm cautious in the short term because of this higher for longer mantra by the mm -hmm. Fed, which will have the, the added impact of, of slowing the economy, which will slow inflation expectations. So we all talk about how inflation is being entrenched and inflation mm -hmm. um, uh, is sticky and all those sorts of things. But these 10-year these, uh, average inflation expectations are not backing that up at all. Mm -hmm. So we've, we're now down to 2.2% for the long-term inflation expectation. Yet everyone's talking about sticky inflation and how it could be mm -hmm. higher but the market is pricing in long-term inflation only a little bit above the Fed's actual goal of inflation. So if the Fed stays uh, tight, if the Fed keeps raising rates, that could push nominal yields up and it could push inflation expectations down, which will push real yields up, which will pressure the gold price. And there's just one more chart I want to show you that gives you a bit of a relationship between uh, between real yields and the gold price. And that mm -hmm. is this green line. These are called TIPS. And this is uh, the Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. But they're essentially uh, the price of real yields. So this is a, this is a this is a price in the same way. This is a gold price. This is not a this is not a yield. This is a um, this is a price. So when when real yields go up prices go down, right? That's how bonds yep. work when um, a bond price and yield are uh, inversely correlated. So because real yields have increased, 
real uh, real bond prices have fallen to reflect mm-hmm. that increase in the yields. And over time, you can see this really good correlation between uh, the uh, re- real interest rate and the gold price. Mm-hmm. But it broke down here. Yeah, why is there such a huge discrepancy? Good question. Uh, this reflects the significant increase in real yields, mm-hmm. whereas the gold price priced that in a little bit, mm-hmm. but not not a huge amount, and it's rallied back up here. So whether the gold price is saying is saying uh, the U.S. economy, the global economy cannot handle real yep. yields at this level for much longer because the huge amount of debt in the system and it's betting that real yields will go back up here uh, or whether the gold price has just got this completely wrong and the gold price needs mm-hmm. to fall as well. I'm not 100% sure. One thing to keep in mind is if this line stayed correlated, you'd have a gold price at $1,200 an ounce and you wouldn't have many mines producing gold yeah. at a profit at that level. So the other aspect to this is that when inflation does flow through to the economy, it pushes up the average price level for everything. And this is why gold is such a good barometer for, for so many things because the cost of mining an ounce of gold, I don't know what it is now. The average price is probably somewhere around fifteen to $1,600. Dollars an ounce, right? So there's a margin here of a of a couple of hundred bucks an ounce, a margin of profit uh, of mining gold. If the gold price fell all the way back down here, you you wouldn't you essentially wouldn't have much of a gold mining industry going on. And I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing this um, this discrepancy here. So if you sort of and if you move this correlation forward a little bit, um, you know it's not quite as dramatic as, as what it is if you try to do it from a really long-term perspective. Yep. Um, and that comes back to this change in the, the regime from being a disinflationary environment where gold miners were mining gold and costs didn't move up a great deal for, for, for a number of years to now there being an inflation shock in the system, which has pushed up the average price of producing everything. Uh, but that And that's been reflected in this, this higher real yields mm-hmm. but let's just push this um, correlation forward a little bit and it's not as dramatic so it, it, it it's it not as correlated here it fell in this sort of main section here where um, if we look at what the date was around there so that's that's really the peak of the inflation expectations the Ukraine Russian war mm-hmm. and then gold price, and real, uh, real, real rates increased, and the gold price fell. So from here, the gold price has increased, yet real rates haven't really changed too much. So there is a little gap in here. So what what what's what's not priced in is the gold price hasn't priced in longer than expected. Mm-hmm. Real interest rates staying high. I think the gold market is is expecting real interest rates to fall in the months ahead. Now, whether that's three months, six months, not really sure. Uh, The other thing to consider, ignoring all that, the other thing to consider is purely from the price action. Gold's bottomed here. It's moved into an upward trend. It's made a low here from a correction. If it makes a higher low, then to me, that's still a a bullish looking environment. And maybe I need Mm -hmm. to think about a different interpretation. And from just a, a... another charting perspective, you've got a high here. So you've had three highs and gold's tried to push through that high and hasn't been able to do it. Whether it bottoms here and has another attempt, I think until it breaks definitively through these highs and gets into all-time high territory, you probably have to be pretty pretty cautious on, on where gold goes from here because in order for this to happen, you need real interest rates to start falling. And that would be a combination of nominal yields falling significantly, which would probably happen in a, in a uh, let's say, pickup in unemployment, uh, more recessionary signals coming from the US economy. Or on the flip side, if inflation expectations started to pick up and nominal, nominal bond yields remain stable. 
that would be the other uh, factor that would push um, that would push real yields lower. But my sort of interpretation would be that nominal bond yields would come down significantly and inflation expectations would still fall in an inflationary environment, but perhaps not fall as much mm-hmm. as the fall in nominal bond yields. So, um, yeah, look, I know that's uh, I know that's a bit of a mouthful. Did that yeah. make sense or is that too confusing for you? Is what, what, what did I or didn't I explain well in that? Because no, I understand I think... it. it's, it's a complex, it's a complex argument. Yeah, I, I do understand because I think you've sort of written about it before to, to your reader. So I've sort of been acquainted with that argument. But I think the the more I, I um, sort of listen, it, it, gold becomes such an interesting investment. I think I wrote about this <clears throat> last week. It's usually assume when you invest in gold that you're sort of investing in this very tangible asset. You're investing in gold mines, you're investing in, you know, like the ore, but it seems to encompass such abstract macroeconomic factors as well that in a weird way, you do have to be in a little way, a a mini macroeconomist and you have to sort of bet which way inflation is going, what the, the biggest central banks are going to do. So it becomes a very complicated bet on the wider economy and markets as a whole. So it's like almost simple. Yeah. The simple way to look at it, sorry, is that it's a monetary asset. Yep. And it is very and, and it's a monetary asset that doesn't pay interest. So you have to uh look at it from that perspective. And and its biggest competitor is the US Treasury market. Mm-hmm. So you have to match it up against US Treasury market. And just for some perspective, the gold market, the gold bullion market is uh I think there's I think you've got the US Treasury market's the biggest in the world, then you've got the J- Japanese bond market. Mm-hmm. And then the gold market is the third largest asset market in the world in terms of the size of it, trading and all that sort of stuff. So it is still a very important asset, but it has been financialized to an extent where it's locked into the orbit of of all the other fiat paper that's floating around the the monetary system we have. So um, when you're when you buy physical bullion, you you, you have a, a, a a pristine collateral asset with no one on the other mm-hmm. side of it. You don't have to worry about counterparty risk, but you do have to worry about, from a value perspective, you do have to worry about interest rate risk. And if interest rate interest rates rise, uh, then there's going to be pressure on on mm-hmm. the gold price purely because it doesn't pay interest and opportunity costs. There is a you could sell your gold and, and go and buy treasuries. Mm-hmm. Now, when exactly. you do that, you, you you're taking on counterparty risk, all those sorts of things. So that, so gold should have a premium based on that. And that's the other thing with that difference in the real yield that I pointed out. There does come a point where gold will separate from US treasuries the more and more insane fiscal policy becomes in the US. So it's getting to a point where deficits are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The interest bill on those def- on on the outstanding debt is massive, uh, and if the Fed Reserve at some point in say like the next twelve to eighteen months has to turn around and say we have to start QE again because there's no one else to buy and mm-hmm. finance the, these deficits, then gold's going to separate from that equation and gold could well break through into new all time highs and just mm-hmm. keep going. You know, it could be three, four, five thousand dollars an ounce, which is why I think it's a really important asset to keep keeping your portfolio and keep an eye on because gold bullion itself uh, doesn't have counterparty risk mm-hmm. in your own hands. And and for that reason, gold miners can be quite valuable investments because they're producing uh, yeah. the metal. Um, so yeah, you're right. It, it's, it's a complex, uh, complex uh, investment, but I think, you know, maybe because I've had my, had my head in it for 20 years, I just find it fascinating. Uh, I've always, invested in it on and off to a certain extent. Um, and I think as much as I'm concerned about the short-term outlook, uh, mm-hmm. if there's one thing that you can bet on, it's uh, excess spending by the US government and and continued deterioration of their finances, mm-hmm. which will be bullish for gold longer term. So would you say that can you look to, to the gold market as a way to, as almost a leading indicator of real interest rates? 
almost to, to see Whether what it's the leading market or is betting on. Yeah. yeah, and it, and that comes back down to sentiment as well. How 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 bullish? And we probably maybe one week we should have a look at the uh, the sentiment indicators for gold. I know there's uh, mm-hmm. there's uh, commitment of traders reports data that you can look at to see whether traders are net long or net short gold. Those sorts of things. I'm not haven't looked at it for a while, so I'm not sure where the latest is up to. Um, but I think gold is is a very good indicator of of monetary uh, conditions. The Real interest rates are at the highest they've been in in nearly ten years. So, from that perspective, money's tight. But gold is saying it's not particularly tight because it's up near all time highs. Mm. But again, the interpretation comes down to: is it a straight interpretation of monetary conditions, or is it also an interpretation of uh, the U.S. fiscal situation? Mm. And is the gold price looking out a few years and saying mm. this is? Because I think it was Stan Druckenmiller has has been out over the past few months, warning about the U.S. dollar and mm-hmm. the insanity of the U.S. government's uh, finances and and fiscal spending and commitments and and those sorts of things. So if the U.S. dollar is under the pump, then obviously mm-hmm. gold and the U.S. dollar operate inversely mm-hmm. as well. Um, so the hedge against that is to is to buy gold. So that's that's another consideration. Yeah. Um, just well, to wrap speaking, up on that, my yeah. <laughs> view would be own gold, but also be very aware of its short-term yep. impacts. And and I think one of the short-term impacts I wanted to point out today is that uh, if real yields and the higher for longer mm-hmm. regime stay around for a while, gold could be could continue to be under pressure for a little bit. Yeah, well, because yeah, I think the the naive view is that oh, you can just buy gold and hold it indefinitely, and everything should be okay. But it, there are peaks and troughs and there are things that impact it i think um maybe the i'll ask for a final word i think we all know rick rule he's a well-known commodities um invest and he said when when he was asked what the real determinant of the gold price is he said i think if you look at the real determinant of the gold price of the last 40 years it's been the popularity or lack of popularity of the u.s dollar and in particular the u.s 10-year treasury now, would you say that's pretty accurate? Is he, he should have added the real interest rate as well. Well, he could have. That's a simple way of saying <laughs> it. And if you want to, yeah. um, if you want to wrap gold up in a pithy statement, then you don't yeah. want to get into a real yield uh, conversation, yeah. which which we've done today. And we have the time and the charts yeah. to be able to, to to point that out. But certainly, if you want to make it simple, that's a pretty good way to pretty good way to look at it. Yeah, great. Well, now I think we'll turn to the the final segment, which is uh, the stocks of the week. And I think one of them is about cheese, and the one another one is about uh, chicken. So we're going to talk cheese about cheese and chicken. Yep, great way to Vega and up. Collins Food Group. Yep. So th- these are the big big movers for the week. I just thought it was interesting. Uh, we talked about all the retailers earlier on and how terrible they're looking. Uh, whereas Collins actually looks pretty good from a charting perspective. It's had this big move down, uh, bottomed here at the end of last year, uh, put in a higher low here and it's had a really strong rally to new highs and these moving averages look like they're turning up. My only issue with Collins is, apart from the horrible food that it sells, um, it's trading on a forward PE of 20 times, a 3% divvy yield um, and a 2.8 times price to book value. And its return on equities only, you know, not only, it's it's around 14%, which is not not too bad. But I think it's not an outstandingly profitable company. And those multiples just tell me that it's probably not the best value. So interesting from a charting perspective, uh, you know, if, if you're a trader, you would probably might want to pick this up on a pullback uh, mm-hmm. after this. I think that looks like a short covering rally to me. Uh, but I wouldn't be sort of buying this from a fundamental value perspective. Uh, and just the last one, Bega, I thought this this stuck out at me this week when I was looking through the charts. Bega has broken down to a drum roll. <laughs> wow. Whoa. It's ten nearly year, a 10-year. Ten ten year yeah. yeah. hasn't, been, hasn't been there since, uh, yeah, 2013. Um, now, I think there was some news out during the week about well, um, you'd mentioned before the employment situation. They were saying mm-hmm. that they're struggling to get uh, enough workers on the farms to um, to milk the cows and stuff, yeah. and they're they're looking at uh, 
across across a lot of um, farms, the the lower dairy uh, cattle count, so mm-hmm. that has an impact. Um, but just in general, I looked at their their numbers. I mean, they've got a forward return on equity of two two point something percent, which you can get you can get in a bank account these days, uh, and mm-hmm. you don't have to take on any risk. And the price to book value is only it's only trading a little bit below book value. So if you're and book is another word for equity. So if you're buying this company, you're effectively locking yourself into a, a business return of two percent. Yeah. So this should be trading if if those numbers are borne out, this should be trading at a lot lower, a uh, lot lower price than what it is, uh, and it's not surprising to see it at a ten year low. So uh, who knows? It could be it could be the low. It could be a great buy. But generally, when stocks are breaking down to that level, you wanna you wanna steer clear. Yeah, well, I think with the bigger one, I think it highlights the that old um, saying that you know stock can just because it's gone low it can still go lower, and <laughs> that's been going. There's always down there's for always 10 another hundred percent fall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it seems like its stock hasn't aged as much as a, a good cheese. <laughs> that's a pretty pretty bad joke there. Nice one. Well, <laughs> but, as long as we're not talking about uh, a wine company, you can't really yeah, sort of pull that yeah. pull that one out again. Yeah. But I think with Collinsford, I I do also find it strange that it's uh, it's gone up as because it's still losing quite a lot of money on Taco Bell, which is its other major chain. So it's sort of relying quite a lot on KFC. And I think there was a UBS analyst that sort of said, "Oh, he's sort of positive on the stock because he thinks KFC is going to benefit from customers trading down." But yep. KFC prices aren't exactly cheap. So if people are really going to trade down, they're just going to pop to Coles and get like a dollar past the can or something they're not exactly going to go to kfc but that's just my take on it well i think the, just one other thing on that um if they were to and i i've no idea i don't follow the company closely but if you were to sell the taco bell franchise and just mm-hmm. make it essentially kfc then that would yes you'd you'd maybe uh yeah. take a hit on the the asset that you're selling but it would create a much more profitable uh, standalone franchise because you're not carrying the losses that they're mm-hmm. currently carrying with uh, with Taco Bell. So sometimes when you've got companies that do have divisions that are loss making, when they get mm-hmm. rid of those divisions, it 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 uh, frees up the the profitable division and increases things like return on equity and and makes the 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 remaining company a lot more valuable. Yeah. So are you saying that uh, Collinsford might sell Taco Bell? No idea. No idea. <laughs> I do. Or they might want to keep investing in it to try to I think, yeah. build scale and make money out of it. Um, but that, that's just that's just a, a, a throwaway comment to say that you know yeah, that yeah. would be a way of increasing uh, increasing short term profitability if they wanted to do that. Yeah, it's definitely a good point. But um, well, thank you for all of that. I think the the gold discussion was I think very valuable. I think um, not a lot of people actually are aware of exactly what drives the gold price. And I think given the complexity that you've sort of talked about, it's understandable. So um, maybe any final words from you? No, just that I hope that it wasn't too complex. Um, You know, I think the difficulty is when you've had your head in something for 20 years to then try and explain it simply to someone who, uh, you know, may have an interest in it, but only a passing interest. Uh, Yeah. Hope it didn't put you off and uh, hope you got something out of it. Yeah. And yeah, let us, let us know in the comments what else you would like to talk about but um thanks uh, for tuning in and see you guys next week thank you thanks everyone see you later thanks for joining what's not priced in your weekly source of unique ideas in the australian stock market if you've enjoyed this episode please show your support by following us on your chosen platform and turn those post notifications on so you don't miss a thing and uh, stay tuned for the upcoming episodes as we delve into new topics new trends and new stocks thanks for your support Hope to see you next week.